This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. a story of Lazarus and I've entitled it Jesus Wept and it's part of our missionary Jesus series where we look at Jesus' encounters with uh, different people and how he demonstrated his love and grace to them. Okay, so it's interesting that the family in this story are far from unique uh, because the tragedy that strikes them actually strikes families all the time. Uh, We don't like to talk about it, we like to kind of hide it away, but... um, 10,000 families every week in the UK experience what this family in our story experienced. And, um, so but the fact that death is common doesn't stop it being crushing and heartbreaking and, and the sorrow of it. And we see in this story, as we journey through this story, we see the, how the death of their young brother, Martha and Mary, two sisters, how the death of their younger brother brings a crushing impact upon them. And there's something about death that still feels like an affront to life. Um, Although it's very common, uh, it still feels like a house robber, uh, house burglar, I think we say in the UK, but robber for you on the other side of the Atlantic. Is that right, Molly? House robber. House robber who breaks in uninvited and takes what's most precious for us. There's a sense where you, if you've had your house broken into ever, we lived in Manchester, so we did. Uh, and if you have your house broken into, uh, if your house is broken into, you feel not only the loss of the things that have been taken, but you also feel sort of violated by this kind of intrusion. And I think that in a world that's teeming with life, we feel the same about death. It feels like it's... It's not really meant to be here. It's not part of the world. And yet, you'd think after the centuries and centuries of human life and death that we would just feel, well, there you go. That's just what it's like. We're just back to the atoms and it's gone. And we don't, but yet, we feel the pain of it. Uh, we feel the loss of loved ones. But there's something about death that feels inappropriate to this world that we're in. And, and so, as we work through this story, we're going to find... Uh, Jesus' surprising reaction to death. Uh, as I said, the sermon's called Jesus Wept. So, so let's pray and then we'll work through and read. Father, I thank you that there's no hiding place in your Gospels. All life is there. There's births and adultery, stonings. There's pride and arrogance and vulnerability. There's racism, sexism, and there's death. But Lord, I thank you that as you encounter each of those things, we find that you are truly magnificent. You're truly beautiful. And the way that you deal with such wisdom and compassion for us, we say, Lord, we want to be those who catch 
your heart this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's read. Uh, I didn't make a full PowerPoint because I didn't know what kind of screen set we have, and now I see what we've got. I'm glad I didn't. Okay, so let's read. I'm in John 11. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to jump in and out, but we'll read uh, from verse 1 to start with. It says there's a, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, uh, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When they heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And jump a little verse or two. Then he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but they thought by that he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I am not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So this family that Jesus is, uh, we find in this story, are some of Jesus' best friends. They're the kind of place where he goes to uh, relax and hang out. Here's a story in Luke where Martha, who's probably the oldest sister, who's doing all the cooking. Mary's the youngest sister. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Lazarus, not in the story, he's probably on his PlayStation. Because my ex guess that, that, that really the family of probably the, the parents of the family have died and that Lazarus is probably... Uh, a young, maybe a teenager or in his early 20s, but probably a teenager. And so therefore, that he, could, he inherits the family, but the sisters look after him. That, that's my take on the family. And Jesus kind of comes into this family as a, a guy in his 30s, early 30s, and he's like sort of the big brother, the best friend, the, the father figure. And they love him, and he loves them. So when Lazarus is taken seriously ill, it's natural that the family would send for Jesus. It's natural that they'd send for Jesus because he's their friend, but it's also natural for Jesus that they'd send for Jesus because by this time he's got this reputation for healing people. So they send for him. Now the interesting thing is, uh, Jesus, as we know, is God, fully God and fully man. And you think, well, he knows what's going to happen. Why wasn't he closer? He's actually, a, annoyingly, a day's journey away. Um, and so the reason why he's a day's journey is why is because they've, the Jews have tried to kill him, and so he makes down to the Jordan Valley. So he's about 40k, 50k away, uh, about a day's journey away, and they send uh, messages uh, for him to come. And it's interesting that there, there's a desperation about them. Uh, as you would, I remember when my uh, mother was t- had a heart attack, uh, I was on holiday in Spain. And um, you, you've got that debate, do you... Do you go? You finish your holiday. Obviously, my, you know, I wanted my family to have a break. Uh, do I finish my holiday? Do I fly home? Should I go now? Should I wait? How long will she be around? I talked to her on the phone, and it was incredibly... I mean, you can do that on the phone these days, but, you know, it's incredibly painful because I'm saying goodbye to her almost every day. And my mum, the Yorkshire lady, that she said, stop all this soppiness. <laughs> I'm thinking, you're dying, mum. I want to tell you I love you. But, you know, there's none of that. There's no communication. There's just a messenger sent quickly from the, from the family to, um, to, to Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Uh, you know, this, you need to come. Your friend is dying. Now, the natural response would be what? 
We know this story. The natural response would be to come. The natural response would be to come on, on, on a whole load of levels. The natural response would be to come because, obviously, uh, uh, you know, that Jesus, if he got there in time, you think, well, he could heal, heal, Lazarus, he could heal Lazarus because we know he can do sickness. Uh, and we also, uh, if there'd be a sense where even if, if Lazarus was going to, to die, that he, there'd be a sense, well, why wouldn't he want to be there to comfort the family? Wouldn't, why wouldn't he be there to be with Martha and Mary? I know that, that somebody in this church, their, 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 their mother was ill, and they flew, flew across the Atlantic to Utah to talk to her. And then when she was ill again, they were thinking, what should I do? Should I come? Should I go? And, and there's all that. The natural response is to go. Uh, and so that we find it um, staggering then that, uh, that Jesus doesn't go. But actually, there's um, a sickness in the world that, that, that I want to talk about that, that's perhaps not the obvious sickness that, that leads to physical death. I, I, if you read your Bible at all, you'll understand that there's, there's a sickness in the world that leads to death that, that the Bible calls sin. There's a sickness that leads to death that actually isn't that obvious. Um, my, mo- my mother-in-law, Mo, has, has got cancer. And... Um, They've, the doctors have treated her well. We've prayed lots for her. She's had remission and, and her cancer is back. But the thing about Mo is that you can't see that she's, she looks fine. And the thing is, when you walk around society, you, you can't see the, the disease that all of us are suffering from. Nobody's lying on hospital beds in Cheltenham. They're driving BMWs, getting degrees, raising happy families. Uh, but the truth is that uh, we're all slowly dying. That sin has invaded the world. And we're slowly dying. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, Sin entered the world through the sin of the one man, Adam, and death through sin. And this way, death came to all people. Because of the choice of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, what we've got is into the breaking in like a, like a housebreaker, like into the perfect world, we've got this sin. We've got this rejection of God. We've got this uh, desire to live life our own way. And the tragedy of it all is that we think we were promised, uh, Adam and Eve were promised that they would find life without God. But actually what they did is only find death. And death breaks into the world as this disease, this cancer as it were, that, that wants to destroy us. This thing that we know is something foreign to the world but yet so common. So the natural response when somebody's dying is, Lord, the one you love is sick, come. The one you love is sick, come. But actually, for me, I feel, as I've thought and praying about this, is actually, there's a world that's sick, and often I'm indifferent. I don't seem to care. I don't seem to be interested that the world is slowly dying. But but there's times where, where I feel... Lord, the world is sick. Why don't you come and do something? Why don't you do something? You know, we've built a nice church here at God First, but, but where are the people who weren't Christians, who are now Christians, the ones who are dying and have been brought to life? Where are they? Where are they? And when I pray that prayer, I want Jesus to respond immediately. Come on, Jesus. Why don't you? But yet, in this story, Jesus appears indifferent. He doesn't seem to act. He doesn't seem to want to do it. I think, God, why? if I were you, I'd be much more proactive. When I see the mess in the world, I'd be much more proactive. Come on, God. 
The world is sick, won't you come? But it says staggeringly uh, in John, it says, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he waited there two more days. You can do the maths and decide, well, would it have made a difference for him to have come immediately or not? Some uh, people say, well, no, he was a day away, and when he gets there, he waits two days, and it's a day's journey. Lazarus was probably dead before he even got the message. But actually, that's not the point that Jesus is making. Uh, He stays away. And I think probably, uh, if you think that God is the sort of God that stays away, God is the sort of God that's indifferent to suffering and sickness and something wrong with the world, then you probably say, well, I'm not surprised that God's stayed away. Because that's what he does, isn't it? In fact, it was interesting, I didn't manage to do the Alpha course uh, this week because I was away and Mark did the Alpha course. And what was left on the whiteboard was the question, well, you know, something like, if the world is so messed up, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God do something? You know, has God made this mess of a world that we see? Why doesn't he do something? And I guess if, that when, God, when Jesus heard that, that, that death's coming and he does nothing, you think, well, if you think that, you think, oh, it's no surprise to you because that's the kind of God I believe in. But actually, you are not believe in that kind of God and John makes it very clear that God's not like that, that Jesus isn't like that because he adds very clearly, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But yet, interestingly, Jesus loves them, but yet still stays away. And we find that very hard. We find that very hard. We say, God, why don't you come? Why does this happen? Why does that happen? And it seems like you stay away. Because what we want is God to come and put his arm around us and say, everything's all right. But God's got a bigger mission than just saying, I'll be there when it's tough. He's got a bigger mission. He even says, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Sin and sorrow and death engulfs his friends. Lazarus is dead and he said, I am glad that I was not there. Seems incredibly harsh. Why weren't you there, Jesus? Sorrow and death engulfs his friends. I am glad that I wasn't there. He said, because... I've got something more. So you might believe. So let's go to him. Let's go to him. In spite of his love for Mary and Martha, in spite of his love for Lazarus, Jesus resists the urge to be beside the bedside of their dead brother to comfort them in their grief because Jesus has not entered the world to merely bring us comfort. I'll say that again, Cheltenham. Jesus has not merely entered the world to bring us comfort. There are some churches, if you watch it, God TV and you flick enough through enough channels, will say, well, that's exactly what Jesus has come to do. He's come to bring you health and wealth and happiness. But Jesus hasn't come to bring us comfort. He's entered the broken world to save it, to transform it, to make it new. Let's pick up the story. On arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus was already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stays at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. 
But even now I know that God will give you whatever you asked. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. It's interesting that that there's Martha's cry is still there. Lord, if you'd been there, if you'd been there, Lord, if you were there at God first, something would be different. If you were involved, something would be different. And, And I'm not saying he's not, but there's a sense where, God, where are you? And we can go through our our lives and we can go through our moments in our lives and think, God, where are you? Why didn't you turn up? I was chatting to Andy in the car. We'd been away for three or four days on some training, church plant training. And um, we got a really lovely phone call, actually, from a friend of his who was a student when we were in Manchester, when Andy was a student in Manchester, part of the church in Manchester. And uh, this guy rings up. His life was a bit of a mess, but he came to church and was amazed but wow, didn't think this could be like this. And um, he becomes a Christian, but his life is messy. He's still struggling with drunkenness. His girlfriend becomes pregnant. And it feels like, oh, it's all going to end in disaster. But actually now, when, our, when he rang up, his picture comes up on the phone. He's got beautiful kids, lovely family. His wife's terrific. He is such a great, amazing guy. And after the phone call had finished, I said to Andy, I said, isn't it for stories like that that we do church? Isn't really that what the most exciting thing that we do, we do church for? I mean, you know, it is good to have a nice Sunday venue. It's really nice to have a tea and coffee rotor that runs very smoothly but actually, we're not doing church for that. It's even great to have Christians who go, join us from other churches. Lovely, thank you. I'm delighted you're here. I'm really, really pleased. But actually, the, we're not doing it for that. We're doing it because we think, God, come and save some people. If you were there. We've got too few salvation stories in this church. And that makes me sad. God, if you'd been there. But even now I say, God will give you whatever you ask. Ask, come on, Jesus, ask the Father to save some people. Help us to bring life where there's death. Jesus reassures Martha, your brother will rise again. I don't know if you've ever been to funerals. There are, in one sense, happy funerals, or ones that are happy mixed with sadness, and then there are ones that are deeply sad. I think my uncle, who's not a Christian, said there was something joyous about your mother's funeral. And I thought, that's how it should be. But you go to some funerals. I went to my auntie's funeral, so my uncle's wife, same guy, same family. And there was just something platitudinous about, well, we know that everybody will be raised on the last day. We know that there's life after death. And they read the words of the funeral And you just thought, no one in the room believes it. But it just feels like a consoling thing to say. And Martha hears it like that. Yeah, 
your brother will rise again. She says, yes, yes, I know that he'll rise again on the last day. But actually what she doesn't realise, and this is a twist in the story, and you know this, that actually the dead raiser is there. She doesn't need to go to the last day because the guy who oversees the proceedings on the last day, he's there. The dead raiser is there in front of her and he says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who raises the dead. I am the one who gives life. Jesus can overcome the unbreakable power of sin. Jesus can set us free from the inevitable cold embrace of death. Jesus is the Son of God who gives life to everything and keeps everything alive. Jesus has the power to transform broken lives like Andy's friend. The dead raiser is in our midst, saying, the one who believes in me will live even though he die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And Jesus says to Mary, do you believe it? And I'm going to ask you this morning, do you believe it? Do you believe that if you believe in Jesus, you will never die, even though you die? You'll live forever. And the, the question is, do you believe it? Do we believe that that's true? That is a question, because the question is, is that a platitudinous thing? Is the gospel a platitudinous thing? Yeah, Jesus came to give us life, thank you. Now back to work. Or is it something that absolutely makes a difference to everything we see? It's a big question. Martha, do you believe it? Howard, do you believe it? We can sing big truth about God. Big truth about God. And on Monday morning, act like it's not true. Like we don't believe it. Martha's no different from us. We're no different from them. You know, we're always in this story. Big truth. Do you believe it? We'll find out when the grave is opened if she believes it. Martha went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, same thing, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. I feel with Martha, there's a bit of rebuke in her voice. Why weren't you here? But with Mary, it's, oh, Jesus, if you'd been here. Everything's so different when you're here. And she weeps. She's, she weeps. And then it says, where have you laid him? She asked him, come and see, Lord. They replied, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't not, not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad smell. For he's been dead there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you'll see the glory of God? Take away the stone. As I said, that Mary, Mary comes with emotion. And what does Jesus do? With Martha, he says, believe the big picture. Believe that God is great, that he's the resurrection and life. With Mary, what does he do? 
It's the shortest verse in the Bible, you know it. He wept. Jesus wept. Mary weeps and Jesus weeps. God weeps. Jesus' response to Mary's sorrow is tears, to the stink and the offence of the grave. It's tears. Is Jesus weeping because he's got no hope, because he believes that this is the end of the story? No, he's weeping because he sees that death is, is an indignity that shouldn't be there. Actually, the, the NIV, I think, I don't know which one I put up there, the NIV just puts that Jesus, twice it says, Jesus was deeply moved. And it's, it's, it's far too British a translation. It's far too polite a translation. Actually, the word there means that Jesus was, was snorting with indigna- indignation. I forget to say the word. Snorting with indignation. He's bellowing with outrage. Jesus comes to the tomb and he's crying and he's bellowing with outrage. This is outrageous. He doesn't say it, but he's saying, this is outrageous. He sees death and he sees it as an outrage in the world. It should not be here. Jesus is not simply weeping tears of empathy for Mary. No, he comes face to face with death and he feels outrage and indignation. This should not be how it is. Tim Keller, we love to quote him here. Uh, and he wrote a great book called Encounters with Jesus, which I'm stealing some, but not all of this material form, uh, just to give him credit. This is a great quote. He writes, Dylan Thomas was right. Dylan Thomas, a Welsh poet, my wife loves him. And he said, do not go, you might know it, do not go gentle into that good night. What's it say next? Does anyone know? Rage. Rage against the dying of the light. Now, Dylan Thomas is not an example of a person's life to follow, but actually, in this case, he's spot on. Do not go gentle into that good night. Don't go gently into death. Rage. Rage against the dying of the light. Tim Keller continues, Jesus is raging against death. He doesn't say, look, get used to it. Everybody dies. That's the way the world is. Resign yourself to it. No, he doesn't say that. Jesus is looking squarely in the face of our greatest enemy, the loss of life and love and loved ones, and he is incensed. He's outraged at evil and suffering and death. It's a bit like if you came home and found a house burglar in your house. Found them in the moment. You might be scared. Jesus isn't scared, but you'd say, get out! What are you doing here? How dare you? And that's what Jesus, when he says, sees death, he says, get out. What are you doing here? How dare you? And he weeps. Sin and death and pain and sorrow and suffering and tears are intruders into God's good world. The painful truth is that we've invited them in. Jesus weeps with sorrow that death dare to swallow up his friend. Jesus weeps our hopelessness in the face of this vile intruder. Jesus weeps as death's smell, foul, rotting destruction of people made in his image comes to his nostrils. Jesus weeps at our unbelief, but he's been dead for four days. Death has had the final word, but Jesus says, roll the stone away. Martha, let's see how well she did. Yes, I believe you are the Lord, the Messiah the Son of God. But Martha said, there's a bad odour. He's been there for four days. We can point the finger at Martha, but we'd be just the same. Worship on Sunday, yes, Lord Jesus. Raising the dead, that'd be ridiculous. Yes, Lord, 
I believe you're the Son of God, but this rotting, decaying, stinking sin, this unbreakable pattern of unbelief in my life, well, we're facing death here. How can that change? I've always struggled with that addiction. I've always struggled with that pattern of behavior. How, how, can, how, how can that change? We roll the stone away of our lives and it feels a bit of a nasty smell and we think, phew, I better put it back because God can't change me there. We roll the stone away of our town and see under the nice villas and the BMWs and the nice schooling and there's death and it smells terrible and we think, well, I'd rather not encounter it. Can Jesus bring life here? I was driving around Cheltenham with Donnie yesterday, uh, last week. Donnie's American guy preached here last week, if you weren't here. And as we drove past a bar called Fantasy Bar, he notices it. I'm shocked he notices it, because I'm a nice person. He said, What's it, what happens there? I said, it's a lap dancing club. He says to me, what are you doing, God first, to meet and save the ladies from the lap dancing club? And I thought, Donnie, just stop. Just don't ask me that. It stinks. It's been there for four days. It's a great question. Yes, Lord, I believe you're the Son of God. How about this? This we can't change. This has had its final word. Let's move on. I need to land this down. Then Jesus, then Jesus said, did I tell you? That if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. If you believe, your life can be changed. That problem, that habit, that way of behaving. That God can change it. Do you believe it? How do you believe that if you actually believe the message and live on mission for Jesus, that people will get saved? And these seats won't be just filled with nice people that join GCHQ, thank you Jesus, but actually people that have been far from God and brought from death to life. Jesus said, did not tell you to believe, you'll see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But I'm saying this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. Then Jesus said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. We're not really shocked by what happened next, are we? Because we kind of know the story and we went to Sunday school. The dead men came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and the cloth around his face. And Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. To become a Christian, what happens to you is you are stinking, dying, dead Lazarus. And Jesus speaks into your grave, come out. And it's very nice to sing songs, and I love Delirious, I found Jesus you know, the proof, the biblical truth of this is that we, as Paul says, we were, Ephesians 2, as for you, you are dead in your sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us, don't anyone know what it says? Alive with Christ. We're dead in the grave. The voice of Jesus speaks in life. Come on out. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you become a Christian. The voice of Jesus speaks into the impossible nature of your situation and brings life. Let's land this down then. Lazarus' death and empty tomb points to another death and empty tomb. On the cross, Jesus carried our sin in his body. 
as it were. He took the cancer, the unseen cancer of sin that's in all of us, that takes us, will take us to the grave. He takes it in himself, the spotless, perfect one. And his body's broken. Death wants to have its way with him, to take him, to enchain him, to take him down to the grave and hold him there forever. He pours out his lifeblood. And what he does, he takes death down to the grave. He takes death down to the grave. He takes death down to the grave. It says in Corinthians, where, oh, death is your sting. He takes death to the grave. Death has no more power. He assigns it, puts it outside, outside this world from where it's come. He assigns it there. And he says this story ends. As he cries out in a loud voice, it says, as Jesus died, he cried out in a loud voice. We heard him do the same at Lazarus' tomb. We heard him do the same when the stone was rolled away. We heard his bellowing indignation. He cries out in a loud voice to death, How dare you be here? Get out! He shouts to those in death, Come out! He sets the captive free. He breaks the power of sin and death. The story ends with death in its right place. It says, He... This is Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old pattern, the old order, the old system of things has died with him. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story because actually death comes to all of us and we see it. But actually, let me just finish with this application that's perhaps wider than just your own response. And I want to say to you, if you've never heard the voice of Jesus say, come out, come out from your impossible situation, come out from your death, and believe in me, then you need to hear it this morning. You can come this morning, and life can come. We can wrap, unwrap the world, they take off the grave clothes and say, walk free. Because you know that you've been living with that eating, death, that cancerous thing that would take you to the grave. But let me finish with this thought. Yesterday I was uh, in this church planting uh, course with a, a number of guys from the network we're in advance, a guy from Ben Franks who's coming actually to preach in a few weeks. Amazing guy. He's planting a church in Tony Pandy. Uh, Tony Pandy's in the Rhonda Valley in, uh, in South Wales. Some of you may or may know. He's there in Tony Pandy and he describes what Tony Pandy's like. He talks about the poverty, the teenage pregnancies, the unemployment. The crime, the suicides, the broken lives, the broken families, the despair, the unemployment, the sin that overshadows life after life in the Rhonda Valley. He talks about a little church of about 20, of people, some who've moved, some who are from the Rhonda Valley, desiring to speak to the Rhonda Valley. Come out, come out. And as he starts to talk, he starts to cry. And I thought, he's in good company, isn't he? Because that's what Jesus does when he goes to the death and opens the door and moves the stone of the Rhonda Valley. 
and sees what it's like. He cries and says, this is not how it should be. Come out. But actually, as he's crying, I, I was asked to pray for him and I prayed that he would speak truth to the Ronda, that just in every of those terraced houses that run up and down the, the, the sides of the valley, if you know them, that out of those doorways, out of those lives, people would come out and find Jesus. But as, after I'd prayed for him, I reflected and thought, Howard, when's the last time you cried for this town? Maybe that's why there's no one here who's got saved in a long time. The poverty is more hidden, but the lives are no less broken. The crime rate's lower, but sin still breaks in, brings destruction and despair. Question is, God, first, are we outraged? Are we outraged that day after day in this town and in this nation, thousands of people die and don't know Jesus? This isn't a scary hell story, no. This is, they die without him. They die without life. The dead raiser is amongst us. It's time for God first to shout out in a loud voice to sorrow, yes, to sickness, and to death. How dare you? Get out. It's time to cry to every heart and every family and every street in every moment of our life in this town. Come from life to death. We're not merely enchanting them to bring comfort to a dying world. We're here to change it. We're here to join Jesus on his mission to bring light out of darkness. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.